This morning will be the Bible and homosexuality part one, and we'll be primarily in the Old Testament this morning, and then next week, part two, primarily the New Testament, and with an ending as, okay, based upon two weeks of looking at this, as the church, as believers, what do we do? What do we do with it? What do we do with the information? Okay? But for now. Genesis chapter 1, the first section I just titled, In the Beginning, God. We need to just start with some established truth. You would be surprised at the number of churches out there, the number of uh, Bible seminaries and colleges that do not hold with a literal six-day creation at all. Uh, I know I went through 12 years of Catholic school, and... um, when they did teach science, I was taught evolution. Okay, so that's, of course, that's the Catholics. That's a little different. But anyway, first point. God created humans as male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding it, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he had made, God saw all that he had made, And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And you'll notice after, I'm not, um, I'm going to keep moving because if I get stuck on just talking about creation, we could stay there all day. So, now, both the man and the woman, we know them as Adam and Eve, were created individually by the direct act of God. By direct act, we moved into chapter 2. Of Genesis, verse 7. Then the Lord... Now again, chapter 2, some uh, some bring a controversy here, say, well, is this a second creation? What, what's going on? No. What chapter 2 is, we're, chapter 2 is highlighting the creation of man. Okay, the creation of man. Uh, on day 6, God created both male and female. Now, for... For more information on that, we turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll just pick it up in verse 7. And he's given us more detail as to how he went about it. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And if we move forward to verse 18 through 24, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now remember, this is all on day 6 of creation. Okay, wait, okay, I lost my place. And out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called 
a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept, and he took the one rib out of him and closed up his flesh at, that, at the place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman for the rib, and which had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, no shame there, because there was no sin had not yet entered the world. Now, and if we also move forward to Genesis 5, 1 and 2, and now we're going to talk about the genealogies a little bit. And this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them and named them man in the day when they were created. Okay. Point being, God created humanity. He created them as male, female, man, woman. I know it's an old saying now. He created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? That one's well worn out, but it's all I got, you know? <laughs> and, but that's it's the truth. And ver- in chapter 1, verse 28, um, <clears throat> points out that, uh, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Two men marrying, so what they say, which is not, which is, in my mind, is illegitimate. Two men by themselves are not going to populate anything. Two women by themselves are not going to populate anything. Okay? No matter how you do it, with test tubes or something else, a man and a woman must be involved. Period. Hey, if I may grab their, borrow their jargon, follow the science. Just follow the science. It's there. It's there if anybody cares to look. And one, <clears throat> and I say, well, you know, you know, cre- you talk about creation, that's kind of a fairy tale. And they say, you know, Genesis is poetry and, and all this other nonsense. And, you know, it's, it's, it's allegory. And uh, I, like, I like what... Uh, uh, John MacArthur said years ago about Genesis, he says, okay, all right, then, if you believe creation is just an allegory and um, the flood is just an allegory, at what point does, uh, does the, the true uh, history kick in? Abraham? Or is that allegory too? Yeah, it's ridiculous. By the way, the, uh, the uh, statement that they make, well, you know, uh, the... the Genesis is, is written in poetic language. Not true. That is not true. I've talked to enough Hebrew professors at the Master Seminary because I, I hit them on that. Is there in it? Nope. Not true. Thank you, sir. <laughs> not true. That's just another one of those, um, I'll be very polite, fabrications. How do you like that, huh? And I'm not running for anything. Okay. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus confirmed the Genesis account of creation. 
He confirmed it. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. The subject here is on the matter of divorce, which we're not going to get into. But this, this is a huge point. He answered and said, have you not read? A very sense, little phrases like that. Um, have you not read or have you read the scriptures? Jesus was always, when somebody was going after him and, and uh, confronting him on anything, very often his response is, have you not read what the scriptures say? Here's another one. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Out of the mouth of Christ, he said, made them male and female. And said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, there are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the end, in the context of divorce. Here, again, I mean, it's just, it's just crystal clear. It's just, just plain. Uh, I mean, Scripture teach, and, and there's many, many more confirmations of this. I'm, like I say, we could spend a lot of time just on these few. But it is so clear from Scripture that... Um, God created them male and female, period, period. And nowhere in Scripture does, uh, does it even hint that somebody was, you know, born in the wrong body. No, no. God created them male and female. That has not stopped. So, again, now, to get a good background on this topic of homosexuality... We need to look at what I just labeled, and I'm following after the scriptures, the heinous sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which actually begins back in Genesis 18. I'm not going to read all of this, you know, this whole big section, but I just wanted to bracket it out so you know where the the whole, get get the whole uh, contextual layout of this. Now, the sin in question, I think we all knew this before we got here this morning, that the sin in question is, in fact, homosexuality. And we can see that in 19.5, where, <clears throat> and they, that's the men of the city, and we'll read more of this, but that they, they, they called to Lot and said, and said to him, we are the men, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them, or as the King James puts it, that we may know them, and it means know them in a carnal sense. I think maybe the new King James says no, I'm not sure, can't remember, but um, that's what they were asking to do. I mean, um, to say they were a little bit blatant, I think would be the understatement of the morning, uh, and when we read further into this, it's, it's pretty... I mean, it's a, it's a level of depravity that, um, quite frankly, in some circles is being rivaled today, I hate to say, in our own country. It, it's kind of nauseous when you think about it. Now, the Lord, and I put L-O-R, capital, all caps, that's the way it is in the Old Testament. The Lord, that's Yahweh, 
condemned this sin using the strongest terms. I mean the strongest terms. The Lord, in writing his scripture, did not mince words on this subject. Okay? Genesis 18.20 And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I mean, the outcry, the, the, the way their sin was just promoted and flaunted and uh, pushed upon people. I mean, the, the outcry of their sin. And then he said, it is exceedingly great. Not just great. Great there meaning kind of heavy. It just weighs on you. I mean, this is exceedingly great. This is a, a very... Uh, the Lord God himself has a very strong repulsion to this sin, especially the way it was being uh, promoted and, and put forth. In Genesis um, yeah, 19, 13, for we are about, now again, here's the uh, angels speaking to a lot. He goes, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord sent us to destroy it. And the Lord is long-suffering, and he is patience, but there is an end to it. There is a time when that patience run, runs out. And one thing that, that God always does, God always gives enough time for people to repent. The scriptures are very clear on that. The Lord is long-suffering. The Lord is long-suffering, and he's allowing that, that all who will come would come. Let's move forward to Leviticus, moving into the law now. Leviticus 18.22. Oh, that's where I got the 2013. 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. That word abomination, that's a big word. That's a strong word. Abomination literally speaks of something that in God's eyes needs to be destroyed. That's an abomination. It's very big term. Now, Leviticus 20, verse 13 says, If there is a man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. Okay, again, not passive language at all. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltness is upon them. It was their choice, their sin, their punishment. And that's, that was in the Mosaic Law. And that's, how, that's not what God thinks about it. Very, very strong terms here. Um, and then we, we go back to... Sodom and Gomorrah again, Genesis 19, 5 to 11. just want to look back at that because um, we're, as we move forward, we're going to see that um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is used throughout the Old and New Testament as an example for, for not only for sin, but God's judgment on sin. That God's judgment for sin is a sure thing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah displayed extreme wantonness. I mean, this, it's a pretty vile, I can't imagine living, but like I say, there's places, just on the news, where I've seen it about this bad. Genesis 19, 5 to 11. 
And again, here's the here's the men at the front door of Lot's. He said, he said, uh, called out to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and, and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with with man. Please let, let me bring them out to you and, and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they had come under the shelter of my roof. I can't go by that one and not stop for a second. As a father of daughters myself, even if I, even if I was a father of just boys, I could not see myself even thinking this, let alone saying this. I'm, you know, it's a time, you know, it would be, hey, buddy, you know, you're not going to, in this day and age, I'll just put it in our terms. Hey, coming to my door for something like that, lock and load, bud, you're not coming in. <laughs> you're not coming in. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, my job as a father and a husband is to protect my family. Two things. Possi- I see two possibilities. One is that. He was so influenced by the culture, and if you read through the story of Lot, that could be the case. When you look at the event with his daughters in the cave later on, that, which we're not going to get to, if you want to give him every possible benefit of the doubt, maybe he was making that offer knowing they wouldn't accept it. Some folks actually think that could, and it could be, but you know what we <clears throat> don't know is his thinking process for making that statement. So we could speculate all day and all night and never really know for sure. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah and, and we'd, again, we don't know. This only gives us one half of the story. The the only thing they talk about, the only thing we're told in in uh, in Genesis nine eighteen and nineteen is uh, they only speak concerning the men. We have no clue what the women were doing. It could have been a Romans one thing there too. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Again, not going to speculate. We'll get into that later. Anyhow, it's more even this week is primarily Old Testament. Next week we'll do some, we'll do more in the New Testament. We'll anyway. Yeah, it's ugly. Okay, back to verse verse 9, <clears throat> where it says, But they said, Stand aside. This is the men of the street said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien. Uh, those, those are talking about the, the two angels that looked like men because they took on the form of man. These were the same two angels that were walking with the Lord up in Abraham's camp. Okay, and now they came down, you know, the Lord went off, the two angels went down into the city to, you know, for the purpose of speaking with them. And there's a whole story about it that, you know, we, again, we just don't have time to go into. But, uh, but just know that uh, that's who they are. And they came, uh, verse 10 says, and the men reached out their hands, and, and that's the angels, and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. You know, the angels figured out Lot is now in a, in a place of danger. The angels drugged him in, closed the door. And they, that's the angels, struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness. Now, think about what's coming. They struck these people that were pressing against the door. They struck them with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. 
these people were in such a almost a possessed state of wantonness, even blindness did not stop them from trying to find the door, trying to find the way into the house, to do what they came to do. That, I, that is an intensity of perverse that uh, is almost beyond belief, isn't it? Can you imagine that? If I was doing anything and all of a sudden I became blind, uh, I have something more pressing to address here, wouldn't you think? Not them, but that shows you how strong those urges were. I mean, that is sick. That uh, say it. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but you know that that is pretty. That's strange. That is something else. Let's compare Romans one twenty six to twenty seven, which will be in more next week, but. It makes a good cross-reference for now. This Romans 1 actually may be the bulk of our discussion next week, but uh, other than naming some names out there. <clears throat> 121 verses 26 and 27 for today. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, and we'll talk about what the giving the uh, giving over is all about. To degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. I'm going to back up one once just a little bit, move a little bit into next week's because it's important to see this Three times in Romans one eighteen through 32, the term God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Three times that's stated. There's a point being made here. Okay? Um, and also, uh, when it says God gave them over, it's something that has been done. The context of this statement He's speaking about people, even nations, in the past tense. He's, Paul is reaching into the past where people and nations have been given over. I'll tell you, when a people or a nation has been given over, that is God's judgment. That's God's judgment of just backing away. That's like when the decision was made that it's time to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Too late. Too late. Enough has gone on. It's now. That is a form of judgment. That is a, like, we'll get into that more next week. But, just, but he's looking back. And was Sodom and Gomorrah one of those cultures he's looking back on? I would say that's it's a good bet. Among others. Among others. Not just them. You go through history. This sort of thing went on in Assyria. It went on in Babylon. It went on in Greece. It went on in Rome. Okay? It's going on today. It's being promoted by our president, our vice president, his cabinet. He proudly brags about 
Oh, I, he just promoted a homosexual lady to the Supreme Court, a homosexual to Department of Transportation, a transgender, as I forget that what department, that man, I will not call him a her, that man runs, and I don't care. I guarantee you it's not run well, <laughs> okay? Um, no, it can't be. So when you see this, just know, and I got off the track, but to degrading passions, and again, the words the Spirit of God had Paul put down there, what are the degrading passions? Women exchanging the natural function for that which is, is natural. Remember, God is the creator of nat- natural law, okay? Nature. Verse 27, in the same way, also the men. And with the men, now you're going to see stronger language used in terms of their lust, if you will. It says, and in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Does that, man, that sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. But that sounds like today as well. Um, Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the Jew the, the due penalty of their error. The due penalty of their error. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah received the due penalty of their error. It's being promoted on such things that were used to be considered family friendly, like Disneyland. I mean, give me a break. I mean, you pervert Disneyland, you'll pervert anything, right? I happen to remember when the Disneyland opened in 1959 in Anaheim. I was there. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I have to go back a ways. I'm way back. <laughs> but, hey. Remember my grandmother used to take, used to take us there every, every, every summer. Starting in 59. I guarantee you. Walt wouldn't play that game. Yeah, actually, we actually knew Walt. He would not play that game. He would not play that game. Anyway, off a little bit here. And then to, back to Genesis 19 again, and we're going to have to start moving. It's a good thing I didn't try to do it all today, huh? I've made that mistake before. <laughs> but, Back to Genesis nineteen twenty four to twenty nine, and when, when God finally put down the hammer, and He, uh, anyway, God's judgment on this sin was total destruction. Nineteen twenty four to twenty. Then God rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and He overthrew those cities. There's more Sodom and Gomorrah and other smaller that whole area, that whole valley down there which is now where the Dead Sea is, that whole valley was just a sinkhole of this. And God just just took it all out, just wiped it all out. And he overthrew those cities and and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. I mean, the crops, everything. You know, believe him when God says sins defile the land. And when sins defile the land, the land gets cleaned out too. Again, the flood, great example, another great example of this. This is a localized total destruction, okay, of that valley with Sodom, Gomorrah, and whatever other city was down there. But in verse 26, um, 
but his wife, uh, but uh, and he grew, and he, but his wife from behind him. That's Lot's wife. Okay, they're being escorted out of town now. But his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. She disobeyed. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the to the place where he could where he stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like a smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst to overthrow, to, of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Interesting. This is a very little tidbit of information here. I'll just toss out to you. You know why God saved Lot? out of that destruction for Abraham's sake. Anyway, just, just, Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which he lived. Yeah, it's, you, go, you read the story. I mean, it's basically the answer. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. He had resistance. I mean, the two um, uh, fiancés of the daughters, eh, they didn't go. They didn't believe it. They, they stayed, well, and they paid the price for that. They said, when they said, you go, don't look back, the wife looked back. She paid the price for that. It really doesn't pay to disobey God, especially when he's in the, when he's in the midst of judging. You really, don't want to, you really don't want to mess around. I'm telling you, it's just not a good practice. And then when we go through Scripture, and I don't think we'll look up everything here, but, when you, but following the judgment, of Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin of homosexuality is often referred to as sodomy and a homosexual as a sodomite. It picked up that name because it was such a prevalent thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom gets top billing, you know, and Sodom was the town that Lot lived in. So, but it was that whole, just don't forget though, it's that whole area, whole big valley area that just got consumed by, by God's judgment. So that was the big catastrophe down there. Let's look at an example um, about sodomy and all that stuff. Again, I told you it would be a cheery topic. We'll stay in the law this morning, Deuteronomy. Uh, we'll pick up a few terms, and again, hopefully we can tie it all together next week. But Deuteronomy 23, 17 through 18 Once again, this is, and we know Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is basically a recording for the most part. There's a few other things, but for the most part, this is recording, uh, a record, I should say, of Moses' speech, sermon, whatever you want to call it, to the people just prior to going into the promised land. They've been, the wandering, the 40 years wilderness wandering is, is done it's now time to cross the Jordan and go in to take the promised land. Deuteronomy is, is Moses' counsel to the people prior to going in. This is what you folks need to remember. This is what you need to do when you get there and what you better not do when you get there. Okay? So, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 23, 17 and 18 says, and we're... Everything's going to be a little bit out of context here, but none of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. Remember, they were going into a land that was very, very perverted. 
what we saw in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was going on there as well. Not maybe so violent, but in very much in context of Romans 1. When you start thinking about it, looking, Romans 1, writing, thinking back to past experiences, the land of Canaan is one of those where all of what we read about in Romans 1, uh, 18 to 32, was going on. All of that was going on, even beyond the sexual stuff. The other things, which we'll get into next week, that were going on, they were also going on, and God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up, and his method of judgment was Israel going in there and wiping them out and pushing them out of the land. That was God's form of judgment on the land of Canaan. And scripture uh, describes that. And if we don't see it this week, we definitely will next week. Now, and so the daughters of Israel shall not be a cult prostitute, nor shall any of the sons of Israel be a cult prostitute. And sometimes in some uh, Bible translations, that cult prostitute is translated sodomites. And then verse 18, you shall not bring the hire of the harlot nor or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for any votive offering for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Dog, verse 18, that refers again back to the male prostitute or the sodomite, if you will. One thing we have to understand, the male prostitutes in the temple were not there for the women of the town, Okay. They weren't there for the women of the town. Um, it's also expressed in, it was still going on, and we won't turn there today, but you can, just so you have it, 1 Kings 14, 21 to 24. Again, male cult prostitutes are referred to as sodomites. And this is where they were in the land of Israel. This is after the split, north and south. It was going on again. You see, that's, that's so much a part of pagan practice. And what we see now, um, you know, in, in our government, is paganism being promoted from the highest levels of our government. As a matter of fact, I just saw a lady on TV being interviewed. It's not just the U.S., by the way. I heard people say, well, let's go to Canada. (laughs) They're worse. They're worse. Canada's even farther down the drain than we are. I'm sorry, you may not, but it is. (laughs) There's a lady in the Netherlands that is facing three years in jail, school teacher, that dared to say that men can't have babies. She's facing three years in prison. That is what they're, 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 they're accusing her of the crime of hate speech. There's people in our country that pull that same nonsense. Hate speech. And you know what defines hate speech? Whatever they don't like. If they, if they get enough in, in charge or they get enough power, whatever they don't like, oh, that's hate speech. By saying that those of the male gender cannot have babies. That's somehow, now. that's in their perverted rationale, that is hate speech. Okay. We'll, we'll get into why they think that in Romans 1 next week. It's laid out. And I'll tell you, you know somebody that you, or some bodies 
that, that should be on our prayer lists every day are those faithful teachers out there. What a struggle that must be. Good, creepy. You know, can you imagine? You know, their job's on the line for speaking truth. Or if it isn't, could be soon. I mean, I guarantee you, this stuff is coming to a school near you. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. You know, you can have some excellent people on the school board, but sooner or later, when they're gone, it's going to come, even if they're there. They're one vote out of how many? You know, there's only so much any one human being could do, especially if I'm correct and Romans 1, 18 through 32 applies to our country, we may be under that same judgment. Now, Israel was commanded, again, uh, Deuteronomy, I won't go all the way back to 6. Deuteronomy 9, 9, 4 through 6. Israel was commanded over and over again, and then again reminded by Moses, do not follow the pagan practices of the nations whom you're going in to, t- to take over. Romans 9, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6 says, Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you because of my righteousness. You as an individual, the Lord has brought me into to possess this land. But it's because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is disposing them before you. Okay? It isn't because you, Israel, such a righteous group of folks that God's going to knock these people out and put you in. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's because they are so wicked they're being driven out. Okay, it is not for verse five. It is not for your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it's because of the wickedness of those nations of these nations that the Lord your God has drive them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Know then it is not because of how many times, you know, they got to get it in their heads. You know, it's not because of your, again, the third time, it is, no, it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. God does know his people. He could say that about us, I hope, not too often, but uh, chapter 12, uh, 19 to uh, 29 to 32. He goes, but when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going to dispossess as you dispose of them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them and they, after they are destroyed before you and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods and also that we may also do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire of their gods. And in whatever I command you, you, sh- you shall be careful to do. You shall not add nor take away from it. The same abominable acts, the same abominable acts. And the sexual sin was, was no difference. There's, there's archaeological records of this throughout all that, that area. It was, it's just everywhere. This, I mean, it's just... There hasn't been a continent on the earth where that hasn't taken place at one time or another. And I don't believe there's a, there's a continent or a nation on earth today that that's not going on right now. That's the way mankind works. Mankind degrades, just degrades, degrades. 
especially when you look around the world today, and the United States is one of the more moral nations. Does that give you an idea of how pathetically wretched the world is right now? I mean, think about it. Just think about that thought. You know, and again, the one thing we can do is, is just praise God that by His grace, He called us out of that. Or we could have... So, you know, lest we get too froggy and start condemning everybody, you know, but for the grace of God, there we might be. Don't say it couldn't have happened. You just never... Don't say that. <laughs> no. And I, I, I totally agree, and that's part of next week. When I get into Romans, I'm actually going to touch on it. What time? Well, I was... No, I'm still going to do it. Um... Matter of fact, I'll pick up in the, the laws concerning transvestites and transsexuals. I'll get into that cheery little topic next week and just briefly mention it. But one thing I do want to say about um, this. Um, the next one is to be compared to Sodom and Gomorrah is an expression of God's severe displeasure and anger. I'm going to look at Isaiah 1 um, because that's, it's, and make a point from there. Very similar. Isaiah, like Jeremiah, Isaiah's writing to the nation, warning them, unless you repent, judgment is coming. But when you look at the, again, that's why I spent a little time in Sodom and Gomorrah, because it is used so often in Scripture as an example of sin out of control, requiring God's judgment. If God is a truly just God, he cannot let that go. Okay? And when we get into Romans next week, we're going to see how that plays into how a nation goes in terms of God's judgment. We'll try to make it make sense of it next week. Next week's important, by the way. Isaiah 1, 9, and 10 says this. Unless the Lord of, of hosts have left us a few survivors... And he's speaking about the judgment that's coming. We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. That is totally destroyed with no no survivors. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of your God, you people of Gomorrah. See, what he's saying is to his own chosen people, he says, your sin is so depraved. And it wasn't just this. It was the big depravity, big thing there was they turned to idolatry. Move, at least on my Bible, move across the page. And what do you see? And in answer to Gary's point, this is important for us to recognize because this is true today. What did God say to those people? He just said, you're like Sodom, you're like Gomorrah, and judgment has fallen on you. What did he say? This is our message today as well. In verse 18 of chapter 1, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the blessed of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is our message, too, from a New Testament perspective. But that is our message today. Just like he said to to the nation, turn ye, turn ye, why shall you die? That's our message. Repent. Believe. Every sin can be forgiven. 
That's the gospel. And that's the one thing that's going to save anybody out of that sin or any sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close. Father God, we thank you for this time, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that we do this topic justice. We give it fair treatment. And Lord, we thank you that you have saved us out of a out of a life where sin would destroy us. We we are just so thankful that um, by your grace we are saved. And again, Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.